This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Hello and welcome to another Who's Who at NASA podcast. On today's Who's Who, we have NASA robotics engineer Sandeep Yayathi. Yayathi works on Robonaut 2, or R2, a humanoid robot built and designed at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. As a robotics engineer, Sandeep Yayathi is developing a battery-based power system that will allow the Robonaut 2, now aboard the space station, to move about freely without having to be plugged into the space station's power grid. Sandeep, thanks for being with us today. Hi there. Sandeep, to start things off, can you kind of set the stage for us and tell us about the Robonaut? You know, what does it look like and and, uh, what kind of tools are on it? What is it made up of? Sure thing. Um, So the Robonaut is a... uh, Humanoid robot, so it's a, it's a robot that looks very much like a like a person. Has uh, two arms, similar degrees of freedom, um, and uh, some complex uh, dexterous uh, hands. So the hands are also very similar to you know what we have you know on our arms. And uh, the goal is for robots to be able to interface with the same uh, interfaces that the crew interfaces with now, and be able to handle uh, the same tools that they use on orbit. Um, currently, we have a IVA uh, version of the Robonaut, um, so it's inside the space station uh, right now, mounted to a stanchion that the crew has been working with. And looking forward to the future, we are currently working on a battery-based power system, as you mentioned, as well as a pair of, uh, of legs. Not so much legs like you and I have, but similar to the arms with specialized end effectors for grabbing onto fixtures and seat track and handrails and things that are available on the station. And this will set the stage for eventually having a, a robot that goes EVA. And so what, what are its its functions now and what kinds of tasks can the Robonaut perform? Sure. Um, so right now we are, you know, we're constantly uh, developing new new tasks and kind of, you know, augmenting his abilities as, as time goes on. Um, so our controls engineers here down on the ground are, are working on tasks with the CERT unit. Um, that eventually get tested up on orbit. And so right now on orbit, we have a task panel um, stationed in front of the robot that has a whole host of different switches and buttons and connectors and things that are found all around station. Um, so we're, we're working on you know, vision recognition and things like that and, and the robot's ability to manipulate those uh, those objects. In addition, uh, been identifying various other tasks that the crew has to do that are sort of monotonous and take up time that could be otherwise spent doing science, uh, one of which uh, more recently was uh, checking checking flow out of some of the air filters on station. That's something that the crew has to go and do with the meter, and I think we recently demonstrated um, the robot uh, being able to you know, hold those hold that meter and, 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 uh, and the wand in front of the air filters and, and pipe that video data back to the ground for analysis. So hopefully, eventually, we'll could be doing some of these tasks, moving around the station, um, you know, without the crew in the loop uh, to basically offload those, those those kind of monotonous tasks that are really well suited for a robot. Are you and are the people working with the robot, are they, are they impressed with the, the robot's abilities and the functions that it has? The people working with it um, outside of our group, you mean? Sure. Um, yeah, uh, I think that uh, the, the station program and, and NASA as a whole is, is pumped about, you know, Robonaut 2 and the, the potentials uh, that it has to impacting, you know, how we do operations on station, how we utilize the crew time appropriately. Um, the astronauts only have so much time in the day, um, and there's a whole lot of science that we want to be doing up there. So 
You know, and, and the, the robot is very electromechanically capable, and it's something that, you know, it's just a matter of, of time and development um, to, you know, making it, uh, utilizing it uh, better um, while it's up there. So it's, it's a work in progress, but um, we, we do have a lot of high hopes for it, and I think the people people that are interfacing with it on the op side are excited about it and, and the potentials it has. People are every day coming up with new new tasks that they would love Robonauts to be able to take over in the future. Sure. And do you have a few more of those examples of uh, how the the Robonaut can sort of save the day and, and make it easier for, for other folks? Absolutely. So, you know, our goal is eventually to, you know, to have a robot that, that goes EVA and, you know, can withstand, you know, the harsh environment of space and, and be on the exterior of the vehicle where it can really make a big impact. And out there, there's a lot of tasks. Um, so an astronaut, when they go EVA, uh, you know, they usually have, you know, some main goals that require, you know, humans in the loop to kind of uh, to manage these tasks and, and more complicated procedures and maneuvers. But in order to get to a work site, you know, there's a lot of things that ha- have to happen first. So a lot of times they spend a good portion of their EVA setting up, you know, foot restraints and, and, and fixtures and things to, to get out there um, before they can actually do the, the real task that they set out uh, to accomplish. So having a robot out there could, it could be advantageous uh, from the standpoint of, you know, you would be able to have it go and do all those, those setup tasks ahead of time and really optimize the time that went while the crew members out there so they can, you know, you know, we're, we're blessed with the, the brains that we have and the abilities we have as humans, and we want to take advantage of those when we're out there in the dangerous environment of space. What is still challenging for the robot to accomplish? Where do you think the, the most tweaking needs to be made, would you say? First off, you know, making it mobile is, is a big, big deal. So uh, when the robot's stationary, yeah, we can develop a lot of tasks, but there's only so much it can do um, in one spot. So, I mean, I, I think we're heading the right path from, from that perspective. Um, there's a lot of work that still to be done on, on vision uh, processing and recognition um, with the hardware that we have now. But um, the challenges, a lot of the challenges with robotics in general in the world today is, is with software, be able to take advantage of all the, the power that you have in front of you. Um, and that's something that is just going to continually evolve with time. We've brought in quite a few uh, more you know, researchers and PhDs and, and people uh, doing that, uh, working on that end of development, been partner, partnering up heavily with academia and trying to pull in the latest research um, and, you know, kind of trading off with researchers, being able to take advantage of their labs and their students and, and their, their expertise and giving them an opportunity to work with, you know, uh, an expensive, you know, highly uh, capable, uh, you know, robot, which not every academic lab gets, um, ha- has the funding to, to support. But this is, a, I think this is a good symbiotic type relationship we can develop with a lot of, um, uh, of the research that's going on that will benefit NASA and the world and, and researchers alike. Now you developed a battery-based power, or you're developing a battery-based power system for the robot, uh, Robonaut. Can you take us through that process? Sure. Um, so, Really, so the, the, there's a lot that goes into that power system, um, various DC-DC converters, things that provide power to the robot, um, interfacing to you know higher level uh, control on the robot and power sequencing, things like that. But the, the core of that is, is the actual battery itself, um, and that's kind of where we started. Um, we knew that we would need we'd need a we'd need a mobile power source um, if we were going to have the robot running around and couldn't be tethered 
Um, so we, you know, we've explored lithium ion. It's, it's pretty much the, the premier in, in secondary cell technology as far as, and that, when I say secondary cell, I mean a battery cell that can be recharged. Um, and now getting, so we, we did a survey of, of all the lithium ion technology that was out there when we started and, and identified, you know, uh, a cell that we, we liked that had a really good energy density and also high cycle life. Um, and took that cell and then basically worked on optimizing the packaging for it. So one of the things, and you'll find this today with electric cars and, and various other devices, um, it's all about, you know, how much, how much energy can you pack into how small a space with how little weight? And we're, we're facing the same challenge. So we want to be able to get the most runtime out of our robot without, you know, having too big of a battery, um, and without adding too much weight. So, Packaging is a big deal. Um, we spent a lot of time developing a kind of modular cartridge battery design uh, that uh, we would be able to utilize in Robonine as well as some of our other robotic mobility platforms um, to be reconfigurable. Uh, we're, we're trying to have a battery solution that we'll be able to use in, in multiple robots uh, in various voltage and, and current capacities. And so why would you say, what is the number one reason for why a uh, battery-based system is so important? Um, the number one reason for a battery-based system is to, you know, allow mobility. Uh, it'll, it'll allow us to to freely move about IBA, freely move about EVA eventually um, and to any location and, and run for a long enough duration um, to accomplish, you know, major mission objectives before having to go recharge. Um, with the tether, man managing tethers is difficult. Even for people, it's difficult, um, and the astronauts have to do that. Um, as far as, but now managing a tether that's connected to a, a, a power source uh, is even more uh, difficult because you've got to have you know large enough cable bundles to provide all your power, and and to do that and move freely all around station would be pretty difficult. Are there any other challenges that you had, or challenges that you're encountering now developing this power yeah. system? understand also about lithium-ion technology is, um, and one of the other major design efforts for us, uh, in addition to packaging, was is actually monitoring and balancing cells. So it's, it's very important that you keep these cells within um, their their nominal uh, voltage and uh, ranges, and so you and, and temperature. So we have to be constantly monitoring temperatures, monitoring every cell voltage, and making sure the cell the pack doesn't balance so that when we charge it, we're not uh, Accidentally, we're not charging, you know, one of the serious, uh, serious virtual cells up too high. Um, so that, that involves a lot of, uh, specialized electronics. So we, we've, uh, been developing a battery management system, um, that's modular that can kind of go along with these battery cartridges, um, and, and, and change with the size of the robot and things like that. So it can handle all of that and maintain the battery and operate it safely independent of, of the rest of the robot. So safety is a big concern um, with, with large batteries in general, and uh, that's something that we're taking very seriously, and, and it has been a challenge. Um, there's a lot that goes into just building a battery, it's, it's especially a high-power battery. I mean, we see lithium-ion cells everywhere today, but something that a lot of people don't realize is Every time you have a lithium-ion cell on your consumer electronic device, whether it's your phone or laptop, there's a, there's a BMS associated with that that makes sure that those cells are within limits. Um, it, it's great. It's a great uh, energy source, but it needs to be treated with care. <laughs>
Sure. Is this battery-based system, is this um, what you're working on currently? What's sort of a typical day for you? A typical day at work? Um, well, uh, I've actually done a whole bunch of different things. I used to work on forearm electronics, uh, did stuff for the original backpack power system. And now with during development, um, it's kind of transitioned. Uh, we started out focused on the batteries, and, and as, uh, as time went on, we had to split off. I've actually been doing more with the uh, actual the power distribution electronics. So I, I mean, I come in, um, it's interfacing with you know multiple other engineers, making sure that uh, we're doing in parallel development to meet our deadlines. Uh, firmware and software. I actually do a lot of just electrical hardware design, um, you know, making circuit boards that, that do all this, uh, working on defining the whole system architecture, making sure everything goes together right at the end. Um, but it's, it's challenging. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting though, and it's nice to be able to come into work and, uh, basically start with, you know, system design and actually be designing circuit boards and having them fabbed and brought back in-house and then testing them myself. And uh, you kind of get to go through the entire engineering process here. Uh, it's one of the unique things about our lab. I, I think it's uh, really nice. Also, we work very closely between the electrical software and mechanical team. We're all sitting in the same room, and, and that's how we achieve the, the, the tight packaging that we get um, uh, in our robots. Do you have any other projects in the pipeline related to RoboNut2? Mostly focused on this battery power system at the moment. Um, the, the legs development is also happening in parallel to this. So, you know, you'll see those uh, showing up uh, for too long. We, we've got a prototype uh, already. Um, in addition to that, uh, I mean, I, I think that's actually pretty much absorbing a good chunk of our time at the moment, at least as far as R2 is concerned. So um, once, we, once we move on from, from that, we'll, we'll be probably transitioning more to uh, focus on EVA development. So all of the things we're designing now are being designed with uh, with the intent to eventually go EVA, um, but there are design challenges specific to EVA that, that need to be tackled. Um, but it's important to, to, you know, to tackle your degrees of complexity and stages, so we want to make sure we have a functioning working robot that does the things we want it to do, and then uh, take those lessons learned in addition to the challenges of, of thermal control and, and, and et cetera that are required for an EVA robot and wrap them all into, into, into that unit. How long have you been working with R2? I've actually been fortunate enough. I started as a co-op when I first started on the team um, back in, the, I think, early 2007, early 2006, um, pretty much the beginning of the Robonaut 2 project. So I've been fortunate enough to kind of be here from the beginning. Um, right when we were designing that first uh, first limb, um, and kind of came in stages, designed an arm, uh, built the arm, had an arm just running by itself and a hand, uh, eventually graduating to doing the whole power system and the, the head and the brainstem. Uh, we call it the brainstem. It's the, uh, the actual main computer that does most of our controls work. Um, so, yeah, from the, from the beginning of the project, really. So we've kind of evolved quite a bit since the beginning, and definitely with getting the, the buy-in from station and being able to upgrade and fly a robot, that was a pretty big step. <laughs> sure. And so you were a, a main designer of the, the limbs there and of the, the basic kind of structure of the, the Robonaut? So I, um, I primarily, most of my design work, I mean, initially I, I helped a little bit with some of the motor driver design and the forearms. Um, 
early on in the job. That was, that was somewhat minimal. But most of what I did was actually with the power and safety system of the robot. So the original um, backpack power electronics that are in there now. Um, currently, the robot runs off the station 120 DC, and then inside that backpack, we handle converting it to the various voltages that the robot needs. So I, I worked a lot on that power system. Um, and uh, so it's kind of natural for me to gravitate towards the, the new one. Um, I also did some support of the uh, forearm, uh, forearm electronics. Um, we had one of our principal engineers leave recently, so took over some of that for a while. So various things, but mostly kind of been around the power system for most of my time on the project. That's great. And can you talk a bit about uh, how the Robonaut is, how R2 is tested, how that works, and um, how you're able to do that and make sure everything's running properly? Sure. Um, I mean, so there's different stages. I mean, it, like during development, uh, you know, we, we try to segment things off and, and test things in pieces before the robot goes together. Um, that was actually one of my first thing, first you know, major task as well as still co-oping is building a simulator of all of the power electronics in the, in the robot body so that we could and a hardware simulator, not software one. So it would be the actual parts all kind of on a on a on a uh, on a cart that we could plug in a joint or plug in a limb and do a full checkout on it. So that involves you know plugging it in and hooking it up to our GUI and our software control, making sure it can do all the motions correctly. Um, then you know once we have the robot fully assembled, uh, it, it's pretty much a, a lot of the uh, the the uh, sensing and stuff is all piped back in through the GUI, so we can we can basically online see if there are things that are going wrong with the robot. And is there a challenge uh, with coordination when you're adding new functions? Because uh, you know what it can do now isn't what it's going to be able to do in a few years. I mean, what what how does that work to make sure that uh, when you're adding these new capabilities? Yeah, so that's that's an important question. That is uh, that is definitely a big challenge. So. When you have a, you know, a robot or any other system that's actually, it's already flown, it's up there, you know, we have to, uh, you know, integrate these new features with a robot that, that exists on station. So we're, we're concerned with, you know, you know, how do we, uh, how, how can we make this easy to go together, you know, so that the, the crew can assemble these new components on, um, uh, without, you know, having to be, Invasive. So there are areas where, you know, sure, if we built a new robot, it might, we might be able to make something um, more integrated, but we have to make sure that uh, we can interface with what we have. So that is a challenge sometimes to, to make sure that, um, you know, we're, we have the right workarounds and things to, to get these things to connect up. Um, it's highly advantageous for us to be able to do that. You know, since we have a robot out there, we, we have to utilize the resources that we have. Um, so it's like hardware is is a uh, uh, is not something that you can just replace on the fly. Um, so you know when you have something up there, you want to utilize what you what you've got. Um, so we, we do spend a lot of time making sure that these systems are going to integrate. We have a full cert, cert unit on the ground that is identical to the uh, flight Robinon two that's on ISS. So what we'll do, and we're actually in process also of building a full separate from that cert unit full hardware simulator um, of of the robot so that all these new components that we build that we can plug into the hardware simulator test. And eventually, once we're confident everything is working correctly, we can then take all the hardware and actually integrate it with that CERT flight unit and do all of our checkouts with that on the ground, as well as even the assembly procedures and that we'll 
be working with the, the crew for. And so before it ever anything ever flies, all of that checkout will be done ahead of time so that when the crew assembles in orbit, it'll behave just as we expect. Mm -hmm. I just have a couple more questions. Uh, when you, and we've, we've touched on this a bit, basically what's next for R2 and when you kind of, when you look ahead to say uh, 10 years or so, what do you see as the, uh, the applications of, uh, of R2 and similar technologies? Uh, robot too, and similar thing. I mean, like these these robots uh, are going to serve a pretty important purpose, I think, in in the future of you know, space exploration in general. Obviously, the tasks I've already mentioned. Um, there there are just so many there's so many things that you have to do when you're EVA in space um, that don't necessarily require a person in the loop. There are a lot of things that do require a person in the loop, and you want to basically minimize the time people are spent on doing tasks that can be automated by a robot and let people do the things that people are good at. Um, so if, you know, in the future, you know, we're, we're talking about targeting an, an asteroid and, and other planetary services, and that's a great place for a robot like this, or, you know, even if it's not a, a robonaut per se, and we take you know 90% of the technology we have in robonaut and it's a, maybe a little more specialized, it can still be a robot that goes out and does get-ahead tasks for crew or can be out there and, and explore dangerous environments before um, or unknown environments before a crew member is sent out there. So, you know, uh, human life is precious. If we lose a robot, you know, we lost some money and, and, and some parts, but uh, it's that's less valuable than a, than a human being. So if we're exploring a surface, we want to go through some uncharted uh, areas and be able to do, you know, a fairly high level of uh, exploration. Uh, we could send a robot out there, and then when you determine that it's safe and interesting enough for a person to go in after, then then you can do that. Um, the robot can also serve as an assistant, uh, you know, out in the field as well. Finally, what is uh, what's your favorite part of the job? Would you say? My favorite part of this job, really, honestly, is. The hands-on part, like I, I, uh, I really like to. I mean, I like to work with my hands. I like to, you know, have tangible hardware. And um, the fact of the matter is, we're lucky enough to have to be get to be part of the entire engineering process and go from design to physical stuff. You know, sitting in front of you, and it's it's pretty rewarding when you spend all this time thinking about stuff, designing things, uh, working with a large team. Um, trying to, you know, make sure everything's going to go together just right, and then you actually get to have the hardware in your hand, put it together, test it, and, and see it work. Um, and for us, lucky enough to see it fly, uh, it's, that's awesome. Uh, I, I really enjoy that. Well, Sandeep Yayathi, thanks for being with us here on the Who's Who at NASA podcast. Sure, thanks for having me.